0: you can when you're saying something you know it's the truth so taste your cement see what it tastes like okay
1: welcome to the protrusive dental podcast the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry clinical tips continuing education and adding value to your life and career with your host jazz gulati
2: Hello everyone and welcome back to part 2 with Dr Libby Almuzian. after the first episode all about prevention. We're going to follow on a little bit more about the clinical stuff. So for example, we're going to discuss this type of cavity, this type of presentation, uh, a deciduous molar with a cavity like that, how would a pediatric specialist manage that? We're going to talk about the use of local anesthetic in children. Is it always necessary? We're going to have a big part of the podcast episode discussing about stainless steel crowns and we're going to discuss why GDPs are not taking routine bite wings on children. As before there's gonna be quite a few downloadables and I'll put them on the protrusive dental community so it's going to be the hall crown booklet by Dundee University, uh, some more by SD and, and a pediatric dental, dental blog that I'll put on there as well so for those who are interested in this they can follow up on that by joining the protrusive dental community on Facebook. I'm hoping that you've noticed that the audio is a bit cleaner for this part of the episode. Um, when I switched to recording with a different software it actually uh, downgraded the quality of the audio so I used to get a lot of messages in the uh, initial episode saying "Jazz, how is your audio so good what kind of setup do you have but I feel as though the audio quality has dipped a little bit so I apologize uh, for that but we've got a way around it so I'm hoping this already sounds better in your headphones while you're on your jog while you're cooking or in your car so um, I'm hoping that in future episodes. Unfortunately I've got a bit of a backlog of three or four episodes before this technology with improved sound. Hat tip to Dr. Zach Caro who helped me improve my sound. So um, in the future episodes around about three or four episodes time from now the entire episode hopefully will have as crisp as audio as you can hear it now. Anyway we'll join uh, Dr. Libby in just a moment but I want to give you a protrusive dental pearl for this episode which is basically this. During this lockdown period it can be quite difficult to be your usual productive self because everything is now alien. It's it's weird being at home. You know, the temptations of daytime television, daytime drinking, all these sorts of things are in the way and you may be feeling that you're not as productive. So I certainly felt that way. So one thing I started to employ is a trick by someone called Brian Tracy, who um, has numerous books which I read and one of them I believe is called Eat That Frog and the way he says it is eat that frog. So what eat that frog philosophy means is when you wake up in the morning do the most difficult thing and get it out of the way. So that thing that you really can't be bothered with, can't be asked with, you really don't want to do, do that thing first. So that's what I've started to do over the last week or so in terms of what I've been doing. And I think it's made a huge difference by eating that frog first thing in the morning. It's actually improved my day I think so is that his other book uh, getting things done was really influential to me around about eight years ago when I read it or when I listened to it. And it's all about getting things done. So checklists and whatnot. But the main tip I can share with you from that book is the philosophy of mind like water now what mind like water means is I used to be someone who I used to have my to-do list up here in my head at random points throughout the day I might be thinking right I've got to do ABC I've got to take the bins out I've got to uh, make sure I finish this project I've got to make sure that I message that person send this email oh I have I've got to pay that bill or whatever it is but if you actually have a system so that your mind is like water you don't store anything like that in your mind instead you have a system for example for me it was a a robust to-do list so every one of my thoughts every one of my tasks is on a system and I never have to worry about my tasks because my mind is like water so I hope that made sense so those two tips from Brian Tracy I hope they help you during this lockdown period and uh, as always I'll join you in the outro of this episode
1: I want to talk about now probably the most stressful thing for GDPs, which is yeah. the emergency child patient. And I'm not talking trauma cause trauma is always um, uh, stressful. Yeah. Uh, cause trauma is something we don't see very often, but when we see it, it's really important and that could probably have its own five part episode mm-hmm. Trauma can. But um, yeah. let's talk about something that really used to stress me out a lot when I was um, earlier qualified. And it still mm-hmm. worries me when I see uh, an emergency, you know, it's, it's like 1 PM and suddenly I see at 3 PM, a child's booked in with an emergency.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's still something that stresses me out. So, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's difficult to manage a child when they're in pain. I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to manage a child in, in, in any way, but when they're in pain, when they're mm-hmm. suffering, whether it's an abscess uh, or whatever. So I want to hear some tips on managing child and prevention. And let's talk about, can, can I share that clinical case with you? Yes. Let's start with this. So for those listening on the podcast, I'm going to describe the, what we're seeing, but, uh, for, for, for those obviously watching on, on YouTube right now, then you, you can see this. So what we're seeing here is an upper left D on a 10 to 10 and a half year old uh, girl. Uh, can you see that? Okay. Libby. Yeah. Perfectly. Okay. Thank you. Brilliant. So the C was removed around about, uh, six months ago upon the recommendation of an orthodontist because the threes are looking like they may be ectopic. What I'd realized at this appointment was that um, having a look at the recalls, because I'd seen the patient remove the teeth and I'd seen the patient because of some uh, other issue, she'd actually had not been seen by any of the dentists of practice for, for routine checkups. So uh, one little tip there is make sure that when you see a child for emergency, have they had their recalls? Because this should have been picked up at a recall, but the patient never had a, a routine uh, examination appointment. Anyway, she comes in complaining of a pain on chewing. And when I had a look, um, there was no signs of abscess, uh, signs of an abscess. The tooth wasn't really that tender to percussion, but as you can see, there is some subgingival caries, and obviously we know this cavity has been there for some time because there's gingival overgrowth into the cavity. Um, I've had half an hour to manage this, and you know I put my hand up. I'm slow dentist half an hour to manage this in the way that I want to in the style that I want to in, you know, giving the uh, child lots of time. That's not enough time to meet in an emergency appointment. So can you talk us through what you advise in a situation such as this and uh, how to ultimately manage a situation like this?
0: Um, firstly, the, the fact that it was missed um, is not surprising. Because what what would have happened is it started interproximally, like we were talking about earlier. We need to be focusing more on um, interproximal cleaning. And what's happened is finally the enamels become undermined occlusally and it's broken off and you've ended up with this huge hole. So I've actually had a few instances you know, where you get some parents who are quite upset that they're bringing their child in for regular checkups, but these things are then all of a sudden appearing and it's trying to explain to them the reasons why. So that's one hurdle because you get this parent who's coming in upset that, you know, I bring, I'm bringing my child in to see the dentist and why have they missed this to the point where it's become painful. Now the first thing to consider is you need to actually ask, you know, do a good pain history. So when you're saying pain on biting to me, that's, that's probably because the gingiva is being traumatized. So now it's exposed that gingiva is being traumatized. If that patient didn't have any pain due to uh, from hot and cold or wasn't keeping them even if they had it to hot and cold, but it wasn't keeping them up through the night, I would say that that tooth um, could probably uh, have a stainless steel crown. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I think this is something which is underutilized by GDPs. As soon as your tooth, the baby tooth has two surfaces involved or interproximal surface involved, I would go for a stainless steel crown. The main reason being, you cannot put on a rubber dam on a child and get adequate isolation and place a, a robust composite restoration that you can guarantee will last five years, which is usually the span that you need because if they're coming in at six or seven years old and they've got a hole in a big hole in their tooth, that tooth needs to last until it's gonna exfoliate. We're looking at five to six years. So, ideally stainless steel crown is, is the, the option. Now, yep. the thing is you said this patient is 10 and a half years old. Okay. And they're already sort of undergoing various treatments for ortho, interceptive orthodontics, let's say, um, my I feel as though this primary... child might
1: be a bit delayed though, because there was no mobility mm. of the D or the E. So maybe we're looking at maybe yeah. 12, 12 and a half by the time this one uh, goes away. Okay.
0: So let's say we, we still need to keep that tooth for two years. Yep. First thing is, why aren't GDPs taking x-rays? Why are, why are GDPs scared of taking bite wings for children? Do you know that I use taking a bite wing as a measure of cooperation of the child? If mm-hmm. you think that that child cannot tolerate bite wings, how are you expecting them to tolerate treatment? Right? Absolutely. So you need to tell them, you need to say to them, we need to take a picture because I forgot my x ray Specs today i can't see inside your tooth we need to see how how deep this hole is we need to see how so you're going to see quite a few things from this bite wing but you're going to say to the child you know it's, it's so easy it's just like taking a selfie feels a little bit uncomfortable when you bite mm-hmm. down on it but you can probably help me you're really you'll be really good at positioning it for me and you get them to put it in their mouth with you because having having the bite wing Um, holder rammed into your mouth is not fun um especially not for a child but getting them to do it and say bite gently oh yeah you're doing it perfectly thank you so much you're helping me so much you get the x-ray taken quickly fantastic lots of positive reinforcement you are so amazing you know and you either say to them children younger than you manage this or you say to them you're doing better than children who are older than you just anything you need to say to get them excited about doing it and it literally takes seconds on each side so just getting those x-rays is invaluable you're going to be can i, able can to I just them? ask
1: you now because because I, obviously I, yeah. uh, that's amazing point and i think uh, not enough gdps are taking ready to go up for so various reasons but what is the um, yeah, the youngest that you start taking bite wings because i think that's the first question that everyone's thinking okay at yeah. what age should i be thinking about it is it due to eruption pattern or um what, what you might suggest
0: yeah so um if you in the sdcep guidelines i think it says from four and above so Even you, if
1: they're low risk.
0: Ah, see, now this is where it is. So if they're low risk, you have no reason to think that there, are, there is caries. But if you had any doubt, if there was any shadowing, if the child had high risk from dietary factors that you identified, they weren't brushing well, then you're you can take a bite wing. But if you have a space dentition, you can see in between the teeth, obviously, you don't need to take a bite wing. If their child is, you know, has uh, parent reports phenomenal diet and you know excellent brushing, you can't see anything clinically that would give you any doubt. Then no, you're not going to. Take and maybe hygiene.
1: their siblings, uh, who are older, have okay. had no issues and they're good as well. That's yeah. um, that's, good that's another as well.
0: mm-hmm. another reason. But if you can see a slight shadow or you know you just feel like the the oral hygiene isn't there you know because usually when a parent brings a child in for assessment this is when they brush the best you know this is my best brush before i see the dentist so if it's still not on point then you're thinking usually it's probably worse so um just if you can identify any factor that would make you think "Mm, are they higher risk than i think take a bite wing it's very low radiation it will also help to sort of measure the cooperation of the child going forward you know if they can tolerate having a bite wing they will be probably cooperative for treatment as well and and like we said it starts interproximally, and you you'll be surprised um one of my colleagues actually did a research about it about the difference between the clinical examination and radiographic examination is it so, eight
1: times more because i remember a study saying that you see eight times more
0: probably i can't remember exactly her outcome yes. i'd have to go back and ask her but she she did that and and it did show that radiographically we were finding much more carries than we were clinically and it changes your treatment plan um so taking bite wings is really important so for this child if this child that you had seen now 10 and a half had had bite wings previously that would have been spotted earlier before the before the occlusal surface was undermined but anyway we're we're always talking about we address what situation we have if we take an x-ray of this tooth at this point what we need to see is how much of the root is is um resorbing because sometimes when you've got an infection in a tooth it can resorb earlier even if you know and is it worth doing heroics on a tooth which is resorbing and it's going to exfoliate earlier than its counterpart on the other side which is not infected um so that's one thing to keep in mind another thing is to see the depth so a, a whole crown on a non-symptomatic tooth. So if you're saying that the only pain she has is on biting, I would say that that's probably due to food impaction and not Yes, actually... I, I
1: thought that as well. That was my diagnosis. Yeah.
0: yeah. So if, if I don't have any other symptoms and that tooth has a band of dentine radiographically visible um, between the cavity and the pulp, I would put a stainless steel crown on that and monitor it okay because you've you've given it the best chance of a seal it's you know you're never going to get a great seal with a composite or a gic
1: can i ask a really clinical question uh, yeah in 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 that Mm -hmm. scenario because we can uh, talk about uh, placing whole crowns and some mistakes i've made in the past but in that in that situation when you're seating the whole crown the gingiva the overgrown gingiva can trap itself Mm -hmm. between the crown and the cavity yeah the do you right. see what i mean so so um my way of managing okay. would be i would anesthetize yes. and i would um uh cure or cure uh, this gingiva away and then mm-hmm. i'll be able to then i feel confident i can have place restoration or in my hands usually um, a stainless steel crown am i being too aggressive should i, should I not be worrying about this this is me this is my restorative density in mind you know
0: yeah, so you're a restorative dentist, I'm a paediatric dentist. I'm thinking, how can I minimize, do the least treatment for this child? So what, what I would do is, if I was really concerned about the gingiva, if it was a little bit of gingiva, I would not be concerned about that when I see the crown going inside the crown and just dying off and living happily ever after. If I felt like it was really overgrown, okay, I would, I would put in a GIC, Okay, so I would push the gingiva aside. I would put some topical anesthetic. I would push the gingiva aside with a plastic instrument. I would place some GIC and allow the gingiva to grow in a more favorable manner, bring the child back the week after. So I would put in some separators if I needed as well, so beside the GIC uh, filling. And what I've done is I've built up that tooth to push the gingiva away. And then the next time they come in, you just put the whole, the whole crown on. Okay. okay? So you've sort of pushed the gingiva out of the way and you can put a whole crown on. Um, Cause anesthetizing a child is not ideal. Even although you know, you've had this child who's had an extraction, so they might be more cooperative.
1: She's but, very um, good. She's fantastic. So, yeah, so that's why I was yeah. uh, happy to even consider yeah, anesthetizing, yeah. removing that gingiva and uh, placing a whole crown. But then yeah. again, look, for me, it's certainly in this case, it's only going to last a year and a half, two years. And I know for a mm-hmm. fact that mom's a bit anxious about having metal, which is, uh, I know we can easily talk about mm-hmm. parents that have objections to haul crowns because of the metal. I know you've told me yeah. about a white alternative before, and we can, you can touch on that. Yeah. Uh, but, but in this case, what I'm probably going to do, just because of parental pressure, and the fact that it only has to last a year and a half, two years, I'm probably yeah. going to place the best restoration I can. <clears throat> but if she yeah. was around about two years younger, then I agree with you. I'd really try and convince the parent uh, about having a stainless steel crown.
0: Mm-hmm it's all it's all you know there's so many factors to consider when you when you're doing treatment for any patient and pediatric patients no different so you have so many factors in play the parents preference the child's preference you know i've had uh, parents who who don't want the stainless steel crowns and then you you're telling well you're saying, well, the alternative is that I have to give them an injection and, you know, clean it out and put a composite in and it takes time. And they don't, some of them don't realize the impact of that until they actually see it happen. And I have had parents backtrack and say, actually, you know, once they've seen their their child be upset by having to have local, um, be upset by the whole procedure of it being long and, you know, having to have your mouth open for so long, they say, actually, actually, it's fine. Just put, put a crown on and um i mean stainless steel crowns are are just invaluable i think they they do such a good job i mean the the study in 2018 um benny Hani said that it's the outcome of doing a pulpotomy okay on a tooth is the success is 98 95.3 And the success of the whole crown is like uh,
1: (laughs) 95.8. Wow. So it's It's pretty much up there. We're doing a popotomy. And and, uh, no anesthetic needed. It's just a no brainer.
0: It's like, why would you put your child? Why would you put a child through having anesthetic, having to have a rubber dam on, all those smells of the zinc oxide and the ferric sulfate? It's like, Mm -hmm. it's a no brainer to me. I would rather put a whole crown on and, hope for the best, usually it is the best, than put a child through all of that. And do you know what, they come out, they're so excited. Look at me with my Iron Man tooth, with my princess crown, you know. And they show it off to people. They get excited. And again, with the parents, the parents can get upset because they feel like when people look in their child's mouth that they're a failure, that, look, my child has needed metal in his mouth because his teeth are so bad. But again, it's saying to them, we use these crowns for many reasons. Some, Some teeth don't form properly, and that's why we have to cover them with these things. Lots of children have them these days for different reasons. It isn't just because of holes in your teeth. And just making them feel a bit reassured that you know that nobody's judging them for that.
2: Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app nothing. We worked so hard on this protrusive team, and I know you're just gonna love it. Now back to the main episode. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. there's two, that, that's a really good point in managing a parent and, and reassuring them. But I think there's two reasons why uh, there may be more you might you probably know more than that. But uh, I think there are two reasons as a GDP, why some a lot of GDPs are not using stainless steel crowns. Uh, one is uh, not really their fault, lack of training, it wasn't taught but at the time that they're at Dem school. Uh, so lack of training is is one, and then therefore they never get the hands-on experience. So if you can recommend anything for for them to to, to uh, channels for them to learn, and the other one is probably not having the kit because you know what um, it, it, the kit is like a 350 pounds, 400 pounds. I think is from 3M. I personally think it's a, it's a great investment because uh, restorations will last longer, less emergencies, less fillings falling out. So uh, I think number two, we can really dismiss and I say, you know, speak to your principal, get them to stop being so cheap and buy the bloody um, stainless steel crowns. So I think really yeah. what you need to tackle is uh, the, the, the first point, lack of placement. training. How, mm-hmm.
0: So, so in terms of placement, the, there's the whole crown, um, there's like a, a, a guide that you can you can get off the internet. University of Dundee,
1: but, right? University of Dundee. Yeah, D, University
0: of Dundee. Yeah. So that that's an I, I would say read through that and practice. Um, what I tend to do is put separators. So I use the um, elastomeric orthodontic separators, the small blue ones. And what I do is at the so you do an appointment and then you can have the second appointment a couple of days later or a week later. It's up to you, sort of. I wouldn't go more than a week because usually they'll, the space will be created and they'll fall out and then you start to lose the space. But what that does is it just gives you a tooth that sat on its own spaced, really easy to fit and cement a crown. And then the teeth will go back to normal occlusion afterwards. Um, I think it's, it's about not being scared to do it. So the first appointment putting in the separators is, It feels almost the same as having the crown on. So it's like an introduction to the child. So I put in the separators and uh, you can use floss or you can use separating pliers. Um, Some children might get scared from seeing separated pliers. But actually how I introduce it is I say, these are my magic fingers because my fingers are too fat to hold this tiny donut." So it's a donut, it's not a separate. Mm, of donut, course they get it. you you get a smirk from them when you go, Do you want i am I'm gonna put some donuts in your mouth? And they go, What is this dentist talking about? you know? <laughs> so I'm like, Not sugar donuts. Do you really think I'd give you sugar donuts? So yeah, we're going to pop in these donuts. They're so tiny. I'm going to use my magic fingers. And look, the magic fingers can stretch it and and squeeze it in between your teeth. And we're going to wiggle. So I'm going to put it in in between your teeth. You have to wiggle as well. So you get them to wiggle and you're wiggling just to place it in that contact point. Once it's in, you say, it's going to feel like you've got a piece of apple skin or something stuck in between your teeth if it feels like that it means it's right brilliant so it's reassuring them that that sensation is the one we're looking for if you tell them you're not going to feel it it you won't even notice it's there if you say that and then they feel it's there they feel that you're lying to them Whereas if you tell them upfront, this is what it's going to feel like, it might feel like this, it might feel like that. Some people don't notice it at all. within a few days, you'll have forgotten about it. They usually forget about it as soon as they walk out the clinic, to be honest. But it's just reassuring them that this is, oh, if it feels like that, fabulous. We've done the job right. Well done, you know, just positive, always an upbeat. Um, so please I mean, that pleasing. is so
1: routine that is so routine for you because you you do this day in day out yeah but, oh my god that apple skin analogy is just. i have to just say that apple skin analogy is amazing mm-hmm. so uh, i but think that's really good it, it's just
0: all about being truthful with children children know when you're lying so even when you're giving them local um you don't say you're not going to feel a thing you say it's going to feel like and then you give them something that it feels like so I'll, I'll go into that when we talk about local but going back to the separators so i place the separators because it's going to help me to size and fit a crown much easier and it's going to help the child it's like an acclimatization for them so you can put fluoride and put in some separators in one appointment that's acclimatization for them the next time they come in you're going to say oh have you looked after my donuts for me or did you eat them and uh, sometimes they'll have fallen out. Sometimes there's space created. Sometimes there isn't. Um, the, if you can get a separator in, you could probably get the crown in, but it'll need a bit of a push. So if if you know if the, you've lost the separator, but you have been able to place the separator there, the space that you need for the crown is less, but it, it might need a bit of a push, and it's knowing whether the child would tolerate that or not if you feel that they're too anxious then place a separator again bring them back sooner or place a thicker separator and bring them back sooner so it doesn't fall out Um, and uh, when you fit the crown uh, it's about getting a click so if it clicks on you say to them it clicked perfect that's what we're looking for and also joking around with them what size do you think you are what size tooth are you because you know we have sizes from two through to seven and i'll say what size are your feet do you think your tooth is as big as your feet (laughs) um let's see and it's just like getting a new pair of shoes we have to try a few sizes to see which one fits and you know they'll say does it hurt i'll say no does it hurt when you put a hat on your head okay no it just feels like putting a hat on your head. And I'll take the crown and maybe put it on their pinky finger seat. Just, it's just like putting it like that. And um, once I've got the right size, um, of course, for airway protection, what I do is I cut a piece of haplo band, you know, like it's almost like a plaster strip. Mm-hmm. And I attach it to the tooth and I say, This is a mermaid tail. So we're going to have a tooth with a mermaid tail or a fish tail or a dinosaur tail, whatever you want to call it. And I say that so that I don't drop it. I'm really bad at dropping things. So you're just explaining as you're going. And let's try it on. You've tried it on. It's the right size. Right. Let's get the glue. glue, And this is really special. Loopy glue made by Mm -hmm. the Tooth Fairy and Mr. Maker. So Mr. Maker is like this popular crafting guy on TV, on C D V and I didn't know that. Most kids know it, I think. Okay. But anyway, I say I say the tooth. So I'm chatting away while I'm doing all this. Yeah, the Tooth Fairy, Mr. Maker get together and they make this special glue for us. Um, it doesn't taste very good, but if you um, uh, once I've stuck it on I'll wipe away the extra bits so you don't have to taste it so it's all about reassuring them that you're doing the best to make them comfortable you stick it on you give them a cut and roll you ask them to bite down you say now I want you to bite as hard as you can like a tiger you can do a practice of it beforehand saying when we've got the uh, Iron Man too fun I'm going to ask you to bite on this you're going to bite as hard as you can like this er, like a tiger, like a lion you know just all those analogies and you're cheering them on when they're doing it and then you wipe away the extra I use a wet uh, gauze because um, I use uh, GIC to cement it, which doesn't taste very nice. Um, can taste some of them are a bit acidic. I've actually, I actually taste my cements. <laughs> 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 can you, can you start? <laughs> Because That's I thought, amazing. you know, somebody told me, somebody told me, um, one of my supervisors uh, when I was training said, oh, it tastes like salt. We say it tastes like salt and vinegar crisp. I think it says it in the manual, actually. It tastes like, tell the child it tastes like salt That's and That's what I say crisp. as well, yeah. I thought, great, but have you ever tasted it? No. No. So actually, I tasted a few, and one of them tastes really lemony. One of them tastes like salt and vinegar crisp. But it's, it's just like, it's so that you can, when you're saying something, you know it's the truth. So taste your cement. See what it tastes like. Okay. And they, and, you can, and I say to them, I say to them, I know because I've tasted it. Anyway, so we stuck it down. We've got them to bite. We've washed, we wiped away the excess. You can go in with a bit of floss. Oh, here's our tooth fairy floss. Let's check everything is clean. Um, I want to make sure it's really shiny for you. Now, do you want that tail, the mermaid tail on? Or do you want me to take it off? Do you want to walk around with the tooth with the tail? That's why I asked. And -hmm, it's just mm -hmm. all distraction because now they've got this new thing in their mouth and it feels weird. It's putting a bit of pressure on their gingiva if if it's done well. So you're trying to distract them this whole time from actually linking the feeling to their brain and getting upset. So you're you're just constantly talking and saying things to them to distract them. And you'll say to them, it'll feel funny because it's something new in your mouth. And I always say to them, especially if they're a bit older, you know, your mouth is so sensitive. Even if you have a grain of sand in it, your teeth can sense that. So imagine you've got a brand new tooth and, you know, it's amazing and I want you to keep it shine for me. And at this point, fantastic. You've done a great job. Off the chair. Reward.
1: And well, two things I want to, because you, you, you moved on to a reward now, which is great. But two things yeah. I want to ask about the, the nitty gritty clinical things, which I like to, yeah. to, 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 to drop. One is Over. when I've placed a whole crown or stainless steel crown, um, should I be able to always be able to floss? Cause it's so tight sometimes. Is it some in scenarios where I won't be able to floss to help clean the cement? Uh, if so, how do you manage that?
0: Um, it is possible. And if the child is really upset, I would advise the parent, and say there's still some cement left, um, which will probably be cleaned away by brushing, but we can check it the next time they come in. Because I don't want to sit there and be so pedantic about a piece of GIC stuck in between the teeth, which is going to leach fluoride onto the tooth beside it. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's like an added bonus for me. But I'm not going to sit there and be pedantic about... um, getting rid of the floss, because that will probably upset the child. Yeah, and it's yeah just that's giving my biggest them more time. Yeah, so if you, I would say try with a probe, flick it out. If you can't, so, so there's a couple of ways I manage it. The first way is if they tolerate the 3-in-1 and suction, I will, as soon as I've seated it, go at it with the 3-in-1, water and air at the same time, blast it through the interproximal and get it, you know, hoovered up by the dental nurse. And then I will go through with the floss. What I find is because the the uh, GIC cement is still viscous, it washes away really quickly. And then mm-hmm. you don't have to do as much cleanup. If they don't tolerate the 3-in-1, I will use a damp gauze straight away after to straight away go through with the damp gauze and get in there with the floss as soon as you can. If you can't, due to cooperation or whatever reason, um, and it stays there and it's interproximal, if you can't flick it out with the probe, I would just settle for it the way it is and then just say it will brush away gradually and you know and try and get in there next time with some flosses especially if you're seeing them again
1: okay so and which, cement, which cement are you using
0: um previously i used um one um which i find is good because it's quite uh, fluid and you sometimes you need that bit of extra time with kids as well because you know you might have a bit of a faff around until they let you seat it properly you don't want something too quick setting um can, can and can dentists use using... fuji
1: 2 or fuji 9 can they can they use that should they use that
0: um I think it just depends on the work because that's what they
1: have that's what they have in their drawers Mm -hmm. right like a gic i'm just thinking for 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 those starting to use technique should they is it just worth getting a proprietary cement
0: um since i i think try it see how viscous it is i'm not too familiar with the other i think because i was in pediatric department and we just had that as standard um now i'm using relyx um but it's the one that mixes as you squeeze it through the tube i can double check which one it is exactly Mm -hmm. but that one it gives a bit of a longer working time um and is viscous so I think it's you just need a bit of a longer working time to make sure that you've got that extra leeway to seat. Because what you don't want is the child loses cooperation or something, or they don't bite down straight away, or you know, there's you're unable to seat it properly immediately, and you don't want that GIC to set quickly. And well, then based on what you the said there, then
1: it, it, it makes sense. Uh, if it was a situation where you, you only have Fuji two or Fuji nine, Fuji two is the, the RMGIC Light your version, right? Or well, it's dual mm-hmm. cure. So it's way more runny, and without the light, mm-hmm. it can take a long time to set, which might yeah. make sense for those who only have the option to, to use a Fuji two rather than the Fuji yeah. nine, which should be quicker setting. And it's far more viscous. So no, I, I no. think the so Fuji two sounds better.
0: Fuji two would be the better option.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Brilliant. So we talked about uh, that, and then the other thing I was going to say is that um, when I've placed a whole crown, let's say on the upper left D or E, then um, to reassure those who may be trying this technique for the first time, that actually when they bite together, it can be alarming as a restorative dentist to see someone and they've got a massive like opening, and the right. left of side has three or four millimeters opening. But every time they mm-hmm. come back three weeks later, the occlusion just magically settles. Yeah. So just to uh, so- uh, speak on that.
0: Yeah, it take, I think they said it takes around a week for a child's occlusion to settle. What you have to t- to bear in mind is they're not adults, they're not fully grown, they're in mixed dentition. They will go through phases where different parts of their occlusion are open, you know, tight contact, uh, spaced. You know, they they're just going through so many changes that actually it doesn't make it doesn't impact them significantly. And a sore tooth would impact them much more significantly, you know, not being able to eat on that tooth. But, but
1: it's worth it's mentioning, actually, isn't it, for those doing it for the first yeah. time? Because it actually can be it's as a, did for the device. first time I did it as a student. I was like, oh my gosh, how is this ever going to settle? And it does. If you if you do
0: feel like it's a significant um, open bite, and what you would do is monitor it. So if if over the course of, let's say, a month, it didn't settle or the child was complaining, that it was bothering them, then you could um, take off the crown. So you'd have to cut it off and redo it. So, but mm. usually I haven't had any cases where that's been the case.
1: I think it's a good tip also, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Libby, is never do opposing teeth so never do an upper lefty and a low lefty whole crown at the same time, because the opening would just be ridiculous, right? Is that, is yeah. that still so something that you follow? The rule,
0: yeah. So the rule is that you can do two in the same arch on opposite sides. So you can do D and D upper, you can do D and D lower, you can do E, E upper, E, D upper at the same time, D, E lower at the same time, but you can't do contralateral. So like you can't do top and bottom on opposite sides and you can't do the same side, okay. upper and lower. Okay. So that's all in the whole crown manual. So if you, if you have a read that, that's all. It's all I, I will
1: stick that on because I think it's a really fantastic resource. Um, I know that dental tubules are setting up a, a tubules live for Hall Crown. So uh, they're, they're going to have study clubs all over the UK where people will get dentists will get to uh, place whole crowns on models and stuff so that there is that coming mm-hmm. on and, and I'll, I'll share the date with you as well Libby, because for those gdps in your okay. network because there are uh, some study clubs in scotland uh and and maybe you know uh, if you can go to one of them be be a mentor for, for, for these uh, gdps maybe that might be a good thing so i'll, I'll yeah. be in touch with you about that uh, okay. so let's talk about something uh, we're gonna have to wrap it up eventually but let's talk about a, a clinical point where local anesthetic and children I've done it both ways uh, in my earlier years uh, when I used to work in, in mixed practice, let's say, uh, and time is of the essence. I've done it before I was like, no, it's okay. We'll be okay with that anesthetic. And you're there for the fast handpiece, pieces, doing what you can. And then with the, the slow hand pieces, and then you just restore it to the best of your ability uh, without anesthetic. And I've done it also, and I'm more routinely now I'm using anesthetic. What is your take and what is your advice for GDPs about local anesthetic use when it comes to restorations because for whole crowns we, we, we're advocating not to use la but for yeah. restorations we obviously extractions mostly people use la but we're talking about fillings
0: yeah. fillings so the thing the thing with la and um even with whole crowns by the way you can use a topical just around the gingiva if the child is is quite uncomfortable if you just paint a bit of topical anesthetic around the gingival margin that can help you with the seating just to make it a bit more comfortable But um, topical anesthetic has another uh, use, which is to acclimatize a child. So most children, what they hate about the local anesthetic is how it feels afterwards. So when they've had it, they don't understand that feeling. So if they've never had local before and you numb them up and all of a sudden their face feels really weird and they Keep touching it, they keep biting it because they don't understand or know how to process this. They can actually process pain better than they can process that sensation of being numb because it's Mm -hmm. something brand new. Um, So Sometimes uh, if you know that next time they're going to come in, you, you might use local anesthetic. If you give them some topical anesthetic on a cotton roll and you ask them to put it on their tongue and say, oh, doesn't your tongue feel funny now? Doesn't it feel weird? That's because it's gone to sleep. And usually when your tongue is asleep, you are asleep. But this time you are awake and your tongue is asleep. That's why it feels weird. So that's why I say to them. And then it's about reassuring them that it's going to go back to normal. So you're going to say to them, I know it feels weird now, but in a few minutes it's going to go back to normal. Now, after a few minutes, when it starts to go back to normal, they say, she was telling the truth. It's going Mm -hmm. to go back to normal. They believe you. Okay. Even if they go home and then they realize, Oh, it's gone back to normal. You know, they say it's reinforcing the message that you're giving them. Then when you need to give them local, and you tell, they, they have this really strange sensation. You reassure them and say, do you remember when we did it with the top plant anesthetic, how it went back to normal with the magic jelly? Um, it's going to feel the same again. It's going to go back to normal. And it's just because it's asleep, but i will wake up later. So that's sort of one hurdle with giving them local anesthetic. Sometimes in a child who has a non-painful tooth, so let's say they have caries in their tooth, it's not painful to them okay, at the moment. They're not complaining of pain, but you can see the cavity. It needs to be restored.
1: That's the most common um, scenario, and that's exactly what i want going to, yeah, answer for GDPs. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So so I think high speed with water is very difficult to tolerate without LA, because you've got the added coldness, which will stimulate the pulp, and just the cold water, along with the high speed, is is going to bring about some reaction. So, Going at it first with a slow speed is actually probably more favorable. So if you were going to go without L.A., you, would, you can say to the child first. So the thing is, if they know what to expect, you're more likely to get a better outcome. So if you say to them halfway through, once they've started to have pain, that actually I can give you something to make the pain go away, they're not going to be a cooperative. But if you say to them from the beginning, I can make your tooth sleepy, which would feel a bit uncomfortable to begin with, but then your tooth would be asleep and we could clean it really quickly and well. Or we could try with the small buzzy toothbrush first. And if it feels uncomfortable, then I can give you the, med- the special jelly and medicine to make it sleepy so that you'll be comfortable. But it's, and you say some people feel comfortable with the buzzy toothbrush without having the sleepy medicine and others don't. So do mm-hmm. you want to try So it's giving them the options, and then also, you know, they feel a bit in control, um, and you give them a signal. So you say, if it feels uncomfortable, I want you to put up your left hand, and it's always the left hand. You say the the left hand so you can hit my nurse, not me. (laughs) So I say, you can hit Chloe, but don't hit me. And I say, and if you put your hand up, I'm going to make sure it's safe, and then I'll stop. So you don't say, I'm going to stop straight away. So you don't give them unrealistic expectations. You say, you make them feel that you care about them. So you're saying, I will make sure it's safe and I will stop as soon as it's safe for me to stop once I've seen your hand signal, okay? And you have to follow their hand signal, even if it gets really annoying, even if they're doing it every two minutes, if they start, if they start to do it too much and you feel like they're just doing it for the sake of doing it, then you you go for another tactic, which is to say, we'll, we'll use the buzzy toothbrush for five seconds and then we'll stop. So we'll count to five and then we'll stop and you do it in counts of five. And then you say, okay, let's increase it to 10. Now a child in pain, you'll realize they're in pain. You'll know when it's just, you know, you can tell when somebody's in pain, you'll see their legs twitch. You'll see their, you know, some, some kind of reaction, bodily reaction. And if you, you can also use the slow speed on their nail, you can draw. Yeah. So you can use the slow speed on their nail and just explain to them how it's going to feel that it's going to feel bumpy. It's going to be a bit noisy. It it might feel a bit bumpy on your teeth. It might feel a bit tickly. Um, So, I think you can do some restorations without local. And the reason being that now we know that if we seal in caries, so if we're sealing in the caries, we've got a good clean margin. That's actually more important than going deep and taking out every single bit of affected dentine. So if you are taking away the soft dentine and you are leaving affected dentine that isn't isn't soft, but you have a clean periphery of the cavity and you can get a good seal on that, then I think that is sufficient to, to give a good outcome restoration wise. I don't think you're going to get any better by making sure that you're digging deeper and digging deeper might need local. So it's kind of balancing up. It's very different for each child. And some children, once they have felt it with without the local, they will prefer having local and It's just gauging that. But like I said, just introducing it from the beginning that it's an option and I will use it if you want me to. And that makes them feel in control when they're asking for something then they're more likely to accept it as well.
1: I really like that, giving them the control and choice. And I I like your tips about the the hand signal and and following that a tactic I use quite a bit is okay we're going to do 10 second bursts, and we'll see how many bursts we need so I'll count down and as you mentioned that that's been quite effective for you as well so that's brilliant in terms of uh, clinical questions I want to wrap up in terms of because there's so much value uh, that we could talk about here Uh, okay let's see so my connection was unstable I'll fix that so Two questions. I'm going to wrap up. I'll, I'll ask you them in a way, and then you can answer them. One will be: At what point do you think a child? What's a threshold where you think, okay, this this child really needs to be sent to you? Uh, uh, for example, uh, you can contrast mm-hmm. that with some some children that you see, and really you think, oh, look, this could have been managed in primary care. Primary care quite easily. So you can uh, you know touch on those yeah. both things. So at what point should they be uh, being referred to a, a pediatric? Uh, specialist or pediatric dentist. Uh, and the other question i want to ask you is, what's the one tip you're going to leave everyone with uh, your one main big tip, you can be a repeat tip for what you said in terms of how to be better on Monday morning uh, with children. So those two things when we should, when should we refer essentially, and your overarching Dr. Libby's tooth fairy tip.
0: So um, in terms of referring, I think you don't want to push a child to the point where they are upset. If you're getting to the point where you cannot do your treatment without the child being visibly upset and the parent agitated, then you need to stop. And there's no shame in stopping and saying, I think that this child would benefit from having a more specialised approach and a more uh, and more time and, you know, just a different approach. So I think that sometimes um, dentists will push a child and make them upset, but then they have to realize that afterwards that child is going to regress and not be able to have dental treatment. So I have some children who are severely anxious, and you look in their mouth and they've got crowns and they've got restorations, and you think, well, they've had all of this done, but they've had it done under duress where they feel Mm -hmm. like they're pressured into having it rather than them being cooperative and being able to have that treatment comfortably. So I think one I think a few of the signs are if the child, you know, is is visibly upset and cries when you're trying to do anything, doesn't want to get on the chair, the parent can be uh, if a parent is dentally anxious, highly likely their child is. So if you know that their parent, the parent doesn't like going to the dentist and they'll come and say, I'm really scared of the dentist. That, that means the child is going to be put off as well. So And children who ask lots of questions, so it's like a delaying tactic. The, so you get these like seven, eight-year-olds and the, every time you come near them, wait, 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 and they'll ask you like 10 questions. Wait, I've got another question. I've got another question. Mm, so I've these are that. all Definitely, tactics. Right. They're all tactics for them to delay the treatment and it's just a sign that they are anxious. And if you cannot give them the time that they need to get comfortable and to build that trust, then refer it to somebody who can. Because you're not doing the patient any favors, even if they only need one treatment done, and you know you can push them and just get it done that day, you're not doing them any favors in the long term. So I would say that's, that's when you should be referring these patients. And another thing is when you see something that needs more inputs like MIH, so molar incisor hypermineralization, that's something that needs to be looked at, not with, with eyes that are looking at those teeth and thinking, what can I do for them today? But actually, they need more long-term monitoring and treatment. And if it's out, outside of your scope, then I would say, please refer to a pediatric dentist because there are windows of opportunity for treatment which will minimize long-term needs for that child. And you don't want to be the cause of them missing out on those opportunities to have a better outcome in the long term.
1: And I'm going to put you know, uh, on the special uh, needs. Special needs, um, I'm sorry to interrupt you there. Um, I've got a really good PDF, um, I, I believe it's from Guy's Hospital about uh, it's addressed to parents about yeah. MIH and your child. So I'm going to include that in the file section as well. Because I, I send that to parents and they find it really educational.
0: That is what I give parents when, when I diagnose MIH. That is the leaflet that I emailed them. I say, this is what you need to know because it's just a simplified version. But what I don't like seeing, okay, and I don't think I've, I've we've touched on this, but I've, I've seen quite a lot of parents who are coming into me who have been to the GDP and have been shamed or guilted about the caries in their child sixes. When the child has only, you know, the teeth have just erupted, it is not caries. It's caries yep. because of MIH. And we need to recognize that. And, you know, uh, I've put together just a list of the signs that this is MIH and not caries. Okay. So warning signs are if they've had hypoplastic ease. Okay. So sometimes we get the ease are hyperplastic. Following that, we get the MIH. Um, or they've had no caries in the primary dentition. So you get this child in who's just got their their sixes through, you know, a year ago or six months ago, and they've got caries in it, but they've never had caries in their primary teeth. That doesn't make any sense to me. There's nothing that could have changed significantly diet-wise or health-wise, unless there is a significant event in their life. But there's nothing to say, you know, if you've had no caries in the primary dentition, why are you getting caries in your sixes? OK, so that's something which I, I wanted to bring at, attention to the GDPs. And the other thing is when you spot uh, white opacities on the front teeth, on the incisors, you know, that's also another warning sign for um, MIH uh, and creamy patches on the molars. So what you want to do at that stage is you do want a specialist's input because you don't want that child to miss out on the opportunity of having the ideal treatment for them to minimize their treatment in the long term. Okay. And, um, I mean, it's, it's very prevalent now. It's 40%. Some studies are saying it's 40% the prevalence of, uh, MIH. So it's something that we should all be regularly looking out for and checking up on.
1: It's, it's something that and I don't want to shame anyone because, um, I feel as though just at the point when I was at dental school, we were getting taught about MIH, but I feel as though three or four years above me, maybe they, that was when they weren't uh, mm-hmm. uh, the pediatric dentists weren't teaching so much about MIH when I went on my uh, elective and I met these Canadian dentists who, are still, um, who I'm still in touch with today lovely people great dentists uh, and they had no idea about and they were 25 years experience they had no idea about MIH mm-hmm. uh, and it's something that a lot of dentists don't know about in my own practice where I worked in um, when I sent everyone this handout, they were like, you know, the hygienists and the dentist had no idea about MIH. So you're totally yeah. right. We should be looking out for the signs and, uh, I'm going to put some more information for the listeners about MIH okay. so that they don't have that situation that they're confusing it for mm-hmm. clinical caries. Cause it just doesn't match up.
0: And the thing is these, um, the sixes that we're talking about, that are affected. They are uh, sometimes sensitive. And so what happens is the child actually won't brush those back teeth because they're they're too sensitive to the cold water. So one of the, the great tips is to just say to the parents, use warm water when you're brushing, which is just mm. something so simple, but it can be a game changer. And then the second thing is because the they enamel, um, the quality of the enamel isn't the same. They actually, the uh, sealants don't stick as well to them. So that's another reason why we're not able to protect them. And also if you're, doing a restoration on these sixes, they aren't numbed up as easily as normal sixes. So you've got this sort of this vicious circle that they can't brush them because they're sore, but then they, they're more poor enamel, they're getting holes in them. So it, I think these this is the kind of thing that you need to refer to a paediatric dentist because it's not a straightforward um, putting sealants on and put, you know doing restorations—it's—it's it's looking at the long term for that child. What is best? So I think I, I would—I love it when uh, I get referrals for MIH because I know that I can give them the best chance going possibly you know going forward.
1: I mean, the the severity of MIH probably has huge bearing on your treatment plan because if it's mild yeah. and there's no breakdown and you've got a, a good yeah. cooperative patient with minimal uh, orthodontic needs that would benefit from a six removal, that's the kind of uh, child is saying, okay, we've noticed it. Your, dentist, your dentist's done a good job to identify it. You're yeah. going to have to be a bit more preventive than the average child, let's say, yeah. but uh, thankfully we don't need to do it. But on the other end it's when there's severe breakdown, uh, then you have that window to have them removed but the sevens take the place and that's yeah. where and it's need... important to get those referrals in at the right time
0: yeah and to get an orthodontic opinion at the right time and you know it might be a case of needing to temporize these teeth until the right moment to take them out so this is all things that need to be decided by a pediatric dentist with an orthodontist so it is out outside of the scope of a, a general dentist
1: so what age like let's say they're six and they're coming through and there's already a breakdown Do we need to refer at age six or wait until age eight or? Any tooth
0: that you see with breakdown, refer. Because what's going to happen is the orthodontist is either going to say, you know, if they look like they have a class two tendency, you're going to say, maybe I want to keep these teeth around until they're 12 and all of the adult teeth are through and I'm going to use that space. For orthodontic treatment, you know, so it it varies from patient to patient. But I would say if if it's mildly affected and you feel like you can manage it with sealants and there's no breakdown, keep that child under your care. If there's any breakdown at a young age, especially, you need to refer them in because even the window of opportunity for um, closing, uh, for extracting and anticipating spontaneous uh, space closure we're looking at the window between 9 and 11, depending on how how advanced they are. Some children, you know, their dental age is much higher than their chronological age, and they can, you know, that window can be missed because we're not referring them early enough. But if they're coming in at age six or seven, you can take an OPT and you can see what is developing. Do they have any missing teeth? Do they have, you know, this is all things, factors that we need to take into consideration and how, how much post eruptive breakdown there is. Um, I would say take clinical photos if you can. And if it is breaking down quite quickly, put a stainless steel crown on it, take a picture of it put a stainless steel crown on it so then you can show that the dentist that you refer on to say this is what it looked like i was proactive and i put a stainless steel crown on it because i didn't want it to break down further because some of them they get to the point where you can't even put a stainless steel crown on them because they're so broken down and the only option you have is to extract it even if it's not the optimal time so we don't want the child to get to that point basically we want to be able to pick and choose when when and if we're going to extract
1: Amazing. Thanks so much, Libby. And to wrap up the final tip that you want to share to to GDPs.
0: Final tip. Have fun. Actually enjoy your patience. Be excited, you know. Go at the weekend and watch a kid's movie. Take your niece, nephew, son, daughter, whoever, go with your friend, go watch a kid's movie so that on Monday morning when you come in, you can say, Have you seen the latest movie? Oh, It's amazing, you know, and just have something to talk to them about and just enjoy it because kids, kids will bounce, you know, they'll feed off that excitement that you have and they'll be excited to see you. And that will make you in turn excited to see them and just enjoy it. Kids are great. Kids are so much fun. And, you know, I know they come into you with pain, but the reward that you will have, what you will feel after you've treated them. And they've, they're out of that pain and you see how much they trust you and, um, you know, are thankful to you and the parents are grateful and make you feel amazing.
1: Fantastic. I fun. love it. When you, when you said that I punched the air, so I don't think the video caught yeah. that, but that's a, a, a lovely, uh, ending point to, to, to finish on. Um, Libby, how can we follow all the, the tips that you give? Cause you're always giving so many tips mm-hmm. to GDPs. Can you please yeah. tell us all your social media channels, uh, so we, how we can follow your progress yeah. and your career and all the lovely things that you're doing.
0: So I'm doing, um, I have a Instagram page at Dr. Libby. And I have my uh, page on Facebook, which is a bit more, well, I post on both of them, but my videos and things are more on, uh, I do Facebook live videos and things like that on my Facebook, which is Dr. Libby's Tooth Fairy Tips. And I'm sure you'll put a link for me, Jazz. Um, But those two pages are actually aimed towards parents more than towards dentists but I've found that dentists like to follow it because it gives them, um, they like to see how I word things to parents and also just how to bring about the topics. So I'll post about, you know, uh, what I see in the supermarket that annoys me, you know, the things that are speaking to parents saying no added sugar, tricking them into thinking they're doing the best for their child, you know, one of your five a day, but actually it sticks to your teeth and rots them, you know? So we got lots of, patients who have otherwise healthy diets and they're having health health foods in inverted commas, um, but actually they're very sugary and stick to the teeth. And what I say about uh, natural sugars to parents and kids is the sugar bugs don't care where the sugar came from. They will eat it anyway and poop anyway. So I say to them, the, su- the sugar bugs don't look at natural sugar and go, oh no, stand back. This is natural. We're going to back off. They'll eat it anyway. So um, just those Uh, oral health messages that's uh, it'll help you as a dentist to be able to spread them in a more um uh, empathetic way and you know i post my personal stories Uh, one of the reasons why i have my um facebook page is actually for me to to appear human to the children i see so i say to the parents follow my page they say i'm not really into facebook i say i know but if I'm not going to see your child for six months, if within those six months they see a few of my posts and see me going out with my girls and see me that it makes me more familiar to them and when they come back in they know a bit of what I've been doing and they will um not feel you know it, they won't have forgotten me and it'll just make them still be in that comfort zone with me um just keeping up to date and you know and it helps to motivate them as well with brushing I put up um, videos of brushing and things like that as well. Um, there is a tooth fair, there is a blog, which I have started to follow, which is really good, um, on Facebook, which is aimed towards dentists. And I think it's called tooth, the uh, fair, fair read? tooth Fairyed. I'll, um, okay. I'll email you. I'll send you the link for that.
1: Please do. And that's just you know, anything a new that one that that you started. want to share. Yep.
0: Yeah. So that's a new one that started that's aimed more towards dentists. And um, they posted an excellent summary of MIH just last week and I shared it because I think it it was an amazing, concise, to the point what we need to be noticing, you know, what dentists need to be noticing. So I'll I'll give you the link for that. Um, Just, uh, yeah, follow my page. Um, You'll see that I post mixed things, not all dental related, sometimes about my life. And um, yeah, I think people find it interesting.
1: I hope. Absolutely. I, I, I love your posts always. So uh, I think my, my, my message to you Libby is keep doing your thing. Uh, I think you're helping so many dentists and you're showing that you're having fun. Uh, and I think I've been saying to my speakers, uh, you know, you are a massive role model to dentists, especially to, to, to you know, to all dentists, but women dentists, you know, we, we need more women uh, like you in dentistry, sharing, teaching, spreading the word. So uh, on both accounts, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I think my listeners uh, over the two episodes have learned so, so much. And I'm just in love with all your analogies. uh, And I can't wait to use them with children. So thank you so much for making me uh, a better pediatric dentist and all the listeners who were listening. uh, And it's been a pleasure having you on.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. And thanks for your amazing podcast as well. It's been a privilege.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I uh, I did. I really enjoyed uh, speaking to Dr. Libby on both sort of uh, parts of the episode. The first one being prevention. The second one just now, as you listen to, a bit more clinical. So if you enjoyed it, please follow Dr. Libby and what she's uh, doing on social media. She's doing some great things. Uh, I've got some really cool episodes lined up going ahead. Some great guests coming up. For example, I'm just going to drop this one in there. Chris Orr, amongst many others, have agreed to come on. I've got a great episode about complete dentures coming up as well but all of that you will have to wait for around about once a week I'm averaging at the moment Uh, so again really appreciate you listening and if you like if you like it please tell a friend tell a dentist put a five-star review on um, your platform that you listen to it on whether it's Apple or Google or Stitcher or whatever and uh, give me some feedback if there's anything I can improve for you let me know thank you